I've been married to my wife, Leah, for a couple of decades now, so there are no surprises. And we have a lot of the same interests, so we do a lot of things together, pretty much everything together as a family. But there's one thing that's really, really difficult to do with her because she's a script supervisor. And so when we go to any kind of movie that has to be accurate, it's kind of a nightmare because the whole movie is, that's not right, that's not accurate. I think we all have people like this in our lives where they extend their expertise to places that really just don't belong. So imagine going to a movie theater and watching, you know, the really cool sci-fi flick. As you settle into your seat, you look next to you and you realize, oh my God, that's Neil deGrasse Tyson next to me, the astrophysicist. And you're probably thinking like I am, he's going to ruin the whole film. I just got to slip this in, not that you asked, but in the film, The Martian... Yes. Uh, they leave Mark Watney there for dead because there, there's a windstorm, a dust storm that kicks up on Mars. Yes. And this happens all the time on Mars. And the, the rocket is rocking and they have to take off. Otherwise, they all die. But they presume he's dead, but he's not dead. So that's the setup of the movie. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be a no. Uh, you know, uh, 100 mile an hour winds on Mars are like... <laughs> oh, just, really? It would be like a gentle, a gentle breeze. It's a low pr- yeah, pressure. Yeah, not much air there. Yeah. You could, if you move very little air at 100 miles an hour, it's not a thing. Yeah. It's just not a thing. I see. So I have to ask this question based on what you just said. Are you a great person to go to a movie with? Oh, or a really <laughs> difficult person to go to a no, movie with? Okay, let me rank the worst people to go to the movie with, yeah, right? Okay. Okay. Number one. The people who read the book first. Okay. <laughs> they, okay. No, yeah. They're never happy. Yeah, yeah. They are never happy. <laughs> then stay the hell out of the thing. Who invited you? All right? Stay home with your damn books. All right? I'm going to watch the movie. They're the worst ones. Um, I would say I'm perfectly content leaving stuff at the door. You are? Oh, yeah. But then there, is there a... But later on, I'll talk about Is there about a, consa- a consultant process at the end of the movie? Were you like, on reflection? Yeah. <laughs> but I'll do that at the bar, you know. Okay, got at it. The end. Did you know that this was, <laughs> I could be annoying, but not in the theater. Right. But I'll let the movie play out. Oh, I yeah, see. So okay. thank you for checking me, checking me out on that. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist. He's also an author and a TV host. He's also the director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. You said that your mission, paraphrase, terrible paraphrasing, I'm sure, was to be a catalyst for curiosity, my words, for others to be more curious and to be learners. And I am constantly in that kind of situation, parent, business leader. And I wondered why do you think that resonates with you as your mission? And also, what have you learned about being a catalyst for other people because I don't feel like I've ever gotten it figured out. <laughs> so it, interesting that you use the word catalyst because that reminds me of the catalytic converter. That's, a, that's an automotive part. Yeah, sorry, we don't we don't <laughs> get a, out much. You can't, you, can't, you can't shake it. I get you. <laughs> so I, the way I've variously described it, I want to be a conduit for people's cosmic curiosity. That's what I want to help provide and enable and empower. And if I can get sort of 
more deeply philosophical on you in response to that comment. When you had kids, you surely knew that they are centers of entropy, of, of disorder. You knew this. But here's something else you should know. The act of the child creating disorder is the consequence of them doing some experiment where they're learning the results of that experiment. So a school ought to be a place where you are more curious at the end of the day than when you started. So that when you graduate, you become a lifelong learner. That's, that's why graduations are called commencement. Doesn't mean end, it means beginning. I hate to sound like a commencement speaker <laughs> uttering this, <laughs> yeah. but that's kind of the, the obvious fact. So I'm delighted to learn that you yourself have retained some curiosity. I've always, uh, when people ask me, how are you doing? Which in America, they do kind of offhandedly, like almost not interested in the answer. And I always say the same thing. I'm learning and people look at me like, what's wrong with him? Like he must be having a bad day. And I feel like, no, I'm learning more now as this, in my current role or as a parent than I've ever had. I feel I'm humbled by how much I'm learning. And, and by the way, that, that's not the thing CEOs are supposed to say. <laughs> they're supposed to say, I know everything that needs to know and I'm going to tell you. Maybe that's why they're surprised. They're like, <laughs> Mr. CEO. Well, I thought he's leading this whole place. <laughs> And, he does, and he's still learning? Holy uh, crap, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> All right, that's good. So, but you, do you think that your constantly evolving body of knowledge around astrophysics and the world we live in, do you think that that is a more powerful stimulator of curiosity because it is far beyond what we can kind of grasp as limited humans? Yeah, so I would say that it definitely helps that I'm in a field where discoveries are being made daily. Is it a new image from the James Webb Space Telescope? Mm -hmm. Is there a new launch, rocket launch? Did we learn something new about black holes? Mm -hmm. Our discoveries make headlines. There's a very deep curiosity that we all have about what's above our heads especially if what's above our heads might put civilization at risk, like an asteroid, of which there have been several movies on the, to, yeah. that, to that effect. Yeah. Just in case you forgot that we're at risk of extinction from asteroids. And if you do forget, just visit the American Museum of Natural History, where I work, and I will take you to the Dinosaur Hall. They're all extinct, okay? <laughs> yeah. And you know if they had a space program and opposable thumbs, they would have deflected that asteroid, you yes. know. So it's humbling to have the power of knowledge that we do as astrophysicists and still discover something in the universe and say, who, who ordered that? Where did, where did that come from? What is that? Like, we don't know what that is. Let's hash it out at the next conference. Here are some ideas I have attack them to see if I have holes and maybe anything. What's your idea? I'll attack that, all right? The best thing I can do as your friend and colleague is to attack your idea. Because if it survives, we praise you for that, for surviving the attacks. If it gets knocked down because you didn't do all your homework that you should have, we did you a favor. What you have to do is be observant. What is that that just... 
They just put up a building there in a shape I've never seen. I wonder about that. Or if there's someone who comes to a cocktail party and they have an expertise you don't have, I'm all over them. Yeah, let's learn. It's a free lesson. And you know they're going to talk about it because that's their life, right? Speaking of curiosity, uh, well, I, I think personally that is one of the most exciting mission statements I've heard because as a business leader, I, my my remit was smaller than that, in a way, and um, and 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 what greater legacy could there be? Um, so, you know, as a person, I try to do the best I can to help others, and I find that the super wealthy people in in business, a lot of them are looking up these days, and being fascinated with space travel and multi-planetary uh, expansion of our yeah. civilization. And and I wonder like how you think about that given, and from my perspective, we have like a lot of problems to solve here <laughs> on our home planet. Um, are they mutually exclusive or like, am I thinking about it wrong? Because on one hand, we're all watching those launch videos because, like, there's some real deep-seated curiosity. Launches never get old. Right, right. It's right. like, oh, my God, look at that. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of homeless people in Detroit. Like, why don't we fix that problem if we have a lot of money? So I, I was just curious to your personal perspective uh, as, as these very influential people start to build a greater awareness of the possibilities. So I presume you're implicitly referencing the billionaire boys race. Yes. Or yes, a space yes, race. Okay. Yes, yes. So much better put than hell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this America, you know, yeah. you, you get wealthy. People like to criticize what rich mm -hmm. people do with their money. And part of me leans that way, of course, if you don't have that money and they do, mm -hmm. and you but I would say, maybe I'm just clearly biased in this next sentence. I would say if they were going to do anything with their billions, I'd rather they went into space than competed with who had the biggest yacht. Right. Okay. Right. Who, yeah. who, who owns the largest okay. island. If I had to pick, yep. Yep. let's do space because okay. to make advances, there requires technological innovation. Yep. All right. So they're, they want to lean in a direction that requires learning new things about materials, about science, physics chemistry, biology, you're saying, uh, physiology, you're sending humans. So now, I'm going to paraphrase what you said, and it's a common question that NASA gets. Why are we spending money up there when we could be spending money down here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about this? Do you realize if the sun were hollow, you could pour a million Earths inside the hollow sun and still have room left over? The universe is vast. Do you realize... And you would care about this as head of a Ford Motor Company that rare earth elements are common in space. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. Rare on earth. Right? Yeah. So not entirely rare. They're just not evenly distributed right. geopolitically. But they're asteroids that have pre-sifted ingredients that we value. The, the whole platinum iridium group of metals on the periodic table, gold, platinum, iridium, so all of those are pre-sifted and they're asteroids that have more gold on them that has ever been mined in the history of the world. And they're just floating by. Right. We have comets that enough water in them, if they landed on Earth and melted, they would make they would refill the entire ocean. 
So to say we got Earth problems, let's solve those before we think about space. There's 24-7 access to energy in space. And I'll throw something else out there. And it has to do with spinoffs. My physics professor in college, his name is Ed Purcell. He won a Nobel Prize. Why? Oh, he's interested in the universe and gas clouds in space. And how do you detect the atoms in the gas clouds? And he figured out a way you can detect hydrogen gas in space. So he's thinking about molecules and atoms and nuclei especially. And he, with a colleague of his, pioneered this new phenomenon in physics called nuclear magnetic resonance, NMR for short. So the nucleus of an atom can resonate in a field of energy so that other light that passes by it will deflect at different angles. And that sounds kind of obscure, but it was a phenomenon no one had understood before or knew about. A medical engineer says, wait a minute, if you could put a, a field around a nucleus and it can deflect photons in that way, I can make a cavity, put you in that cavity and make an image of the molecules of your body. This was the birth of magnetic resonance imagers, MRI, right? Magnetic resonance imaging. That arguably is the most potent tool in the arsenal of medical doctors, so they don't have to cut you open to know what's going on inside you. Okay, um, if you had told medical doctors to invent that, they, they, of course they wouldn't. It comes from somewhere else. Right. It comes from the ingenuity of people who have interest in these other things. You can't legislate innovation. All you can do is create the fertile grounds on which it unfolds in all of the fields and let other clever people come afterwards and see the connectivity. And when they see the connectivity, that's how you move civilization forward. So to say not this, but that, no, do it all. Got it. Um, what was your reaction to William Shatner's uh, reaction to being uh, up there? Yeah, he, he went on one of the Branson Bezos yes. suborbital flights. So those don't actually go into orbit. Elon sends people into orbit. Yeah. All right. That's a whole other, another, another. Yes. All right. When you're in orbit, you are weightless for the entire orbit. In these others, you go up above, basically above the important part of the atmosphere, and then you fall, and you're weightless while you're falling until the atmosphere begins to slow you down, and then you slowly approach 1G again in the vessel. So I forgot how many minutes of weightlessness you get. If you're going to send anybody, you definitely want to send William Shatner. Yeah. I think he earned yeah. it. He totally earned it. No complaints there. And he waxed poetic and emotional and philosophical and, dare I say, even spiritual about that experience. And, of course, that's a little bit of the overview effect, which astronauts report that they experience. Where Earth is down there and you can't see countries or anything, it's just Earth. And it can change you. It changes most people. I, as an astrophysicist, no, I've never been to orbit, but I think about the universe all the time. Right. And I think about not simply Earth from orbit, I think about Earth from deep space, mm. as the Apollo astronauts yes. saw it. We went to the moon to explore the moon, 
and we looked back over our shoulders and discovered Earth for the first time. When did we go to the moon? 1968 was yeah. Apollo 8. And then 1969, we landed and walked through 72. Do you, over those years, do you know what happened back here on Earth? We created the first Earth Day. That was 1970. The Environmental Protection Agency, 1970. NOAA, National Oceanic wow. and Atmospheric, something to think about yeah. it with, was in yeah. 1970. I didn't know that. We banned leaded gas, 1973. People started thinking about it. It was like a firmware upgrade <laughs> descended upon us all because we saw Earth from space. Mm. And it didn't look like the schoolroom globe with color-coded countries. No. It was this globe suspended in nothing, adrift in the darkness of space. And all you could see was oceans and land and clouds. There's a quote from Apollo 14 astronaut, Edgar Mitchell. You develop an instant global consciousness a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it. From out there on the moon, international politics looks so petty, you want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. Wow. Yeah. He was feeling it. Yeah. My boy was like, that was that was beyond the overview effect. That was, y'all better fix this stuff. Yeah. Because this earth is all we have. I better get back to work. Um, <laughs> but, so what do you drive in New York? So am I allowed to tell you yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I own a Tesla? Yes. I, is that allowed? Or am I going to get ejected? Yes. No, not at all. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> your sister has something to say to you. <laughs> my sister works, works for you, yes. Yes, she's amazing. Uh, but if it's any consolation, my very first car ever was a Mercury Montego. And I, it was gifted to me by an old lady. Why she was driving a Mercury Montego with a 420 engine, I don't know, eight cylinder, but she was too old and her daughters just gave me the car and I was 25 and yeah. I'm driving this car and with a tailwind, it gets seven miles a gallon. Yeah. This sucker. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Not good. That was Ta a bad. Tailwind downhill. Yeah. And I think it was the last of the land yachts. Yeah. Because there's this huge hood. And I'd be driving, coming up over a hill, and I couldn't see anything beyond the hood. I, saw, I hope there's not a cat crossing the road because oh, I'm coming down and I don't know what's there. Uh, but <laughs> so I'm at a, at a red light, but I'm like two cars back, okay? So in front of me is like a Volvo and behind me, is remember that car that TR6? Oh, yeah. It was the, like uh, TR7. TR7. It and was a wedge shape. A we it was yeah. a wedge shape. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A car, we're just set, sitting there at the red light. Some other car rammed into, rear ended the TR7. The TR7 plowed under my Mercury Montego. The Mercury Montego went forward and smashed in the back of the Volvo. So the Volvo was smashed in the back. The TR7 is totaled and i didn't even the other car that started all that okay yeah when the mercury Montego, i just backed up and drove off <laughs> this car was nothing so, ever happened it was, i think there's like a crack a little crack in the taillight now you have physics on your side i got it yeah and yeah. uh so uh, what do you like about the tesla uh, so you get the very high acceleration, yes. which that's that's a built into the yes. the electric universe. 
all right? And I'm not one of those chasing that extra half a second. But it's cool. Add. It's, it's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the fact that, you know, there's like six moving parts. It's just, it's a, just, it's an electric car. Yeah. It's this Rube Goldberg thing. Yeah, yeah. That's the product of a hundred years of trying to get the internal combustion right. engine to do what right. we needed to and want it to do. Uh, I mean, what a run the internal combustion engine has had. Transforming, you look at old pictures in New York, everyone's in a horse-drawn carriage. Yes. 10 years later, from 1900 to 1910, you can't give away a horse. Yes, correct. It's because of your people. Yeah, well, in, in, in 19... <laughs> it's in, your people. They all driving the damn Model T. <laughs> it's true. And it's, and it's in the full spectrum of colors that were offered. Yeah, black. black. <laughs> so I think electric cars need to come so, down in price yeah. to be as influential for the, the common family mm -hmm. as the Model T was when yes. it first came out. Uh, but I think that's inevitable. What I also think is inevitable is the self-driving car. Yes. I think that will descend upon us much faster than people will currently admit or recognize to themselves. Uh, think about it. If we can go from all horses to all cars in 13 years, and we built civilization on the literal and figurative back of horses, and you couldn't give away a horse in 13 years? I'm saying now we go from internal combustion to self-driving electric, that's a lesser of a transition than going from horses to cars. It's less. And cars have a time scale where you might have a car for 10 years. Right. But yeah. usually five if, yeah. you if you like trading them up, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so that's the time scale over which you, you've got – and all of a sudden the HOV lanes – are yeah. now only for self-driving cars. Right. And a self-driving car can go 90 miles an hour in fog with one car length behind the previous car because its reflexes are better than you. Yes. And, and then the people who have, who have sports cars, what do we do about them? You know? Okay. So we create car tracks. Right. And they keep the car there. And on the weekends, yeah. they can drive as fast as they want and horses. listen to the noisy engine. Yeah. Let them do it. Because today, we have horse stables. Yes. The people who still like horses, sure. we can still hook you up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, I think in retrospect, history won't be kind to us for the last four or five for the you know, decades for this. Because, yeah. like you said, to save, I don't know, $70, we we gave all of the software control of the vehicle over to uh, suppliers. And none of them talked to each other. And they all wrote different software. So none of the C-control module works with the body control module that, that lowers the windows or the uh, transmission control module. None of it talked to each other to save like, I don't know, $500. Now with an advanced electric architecture, like it's a software updatable vehicle. Yeah, over overnight a, update. Yep. Correct. And we, yep. but we gave that So you're a little, or, you're, you're we stuck We could have done there. that, but you're, we- You're a little bit stuck. We, yeah. we should get, we have, so now we're all, oh, get busy. We're, I understand. Get busy yeah. uh, getting unstuck, Mr. Farley. You got yeah. it. I got it. <laughs> Is that, I totally get that, it. By the way, you were not even ashamed that I told you my Mercury Montego got seven miles a gallon. Uh -huh. I, can you repent or something? No. <laughs> I, I was at Toyota then, so I feel much better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, okay. yeah, I mean, I mean, names of cars, that's like a whole nother podcast. Podcast like Montego is of course named after. Oh, I uh, did. Oh, I didn't tell you I yeah. did this. I, I I looked at car names. Yes, a and yes, I found all the car names that have science or astronomically it's inspired. Crazy. It's huge. It is okay. It's huge. So the number one kind of car name is a name that means nothing, 
like uh, Mercedes-Benz 7 Series, okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Or Audi A8 yeah. or whatever. So that's the number one. Number two right. are car names that are places. Yes. Okay? Yes. So the Yukon. Yes. Okay? Or the... Sequoia. Sequoia, oh, yeah, okay? Pl yep. Physical places yeah. and things. Yeah. Third are science and astronomical names. And no doubt about number it. one among them, I think it was... GM, I think, edged you out because GM had Saturn. Yes. That's a whole car like company. That's a whole car That's company. That's a whole yeah. car company. But yeah. you guys had Mercury. Well, we had the Galaxy. Oh, but yeah, well, the Galaxy. <laughs> we're, and the Ford Focus. I'm taking Focus. That's a oh, physics that, term. There you go. Okay. There, there were a couple of conflict there, like the Chevy Nova, which in in Spanish means no-go, but Nova yeah. is like a pretty cool thing. Yeah, Nova so, no, is no-go. No yeah. But I don't know if the Ford folks knew that a Nova is a star that just blew up. I, I don't think people... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think through that one? They, they were missing the Spanish-speaking person and, and, the, and the astro, and the astro <laughs> I got it. I have a whole list. Oh, it's, oh, really? I carry it on my phone. Yeah. Oh, my I know. Let me pull it up right now. Hang on. Are you ready? Uh, I may not what be. What I do with my glasses here? I, I think I can get... Okay, here we go. Ready? Okay, so Buick had the Apollo. Oh, yeah. Which came out in 1973. Oh, yeah, the Apollo. Here yes, we go. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Saturn, which is generically good, yes. had the Astra. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, of course, all their, they yes. were all themed that way. Uh, Chevy also had the Equinox. Yes. I'm taking it. Good. Saturn had the Ion. Yes. The Ion is yes. good. You need that for your batteries, by yes. the way, of course. Uh, again, the Chevy Nova. Uh-oh, you're down a few in the contest here. <laughs> uh, the Geo, this is GM Prism. Geo. They spelled Prism. it with a Z, but yeah. I'm taking it. It's a Prism. Okay. 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 Um, again, General Motors Spectrum, 1989. I'm taking it. The Saturn had the Sky, 2007. Oh, the Pontiac, Pontiac Solstice. Solstice. Yeah. Got it right okay, here. Okay, so this is like not even fair. Wait, totally. no, hang on. I'm, hang on. Are you getting okay. the Fords? Chevy Vega. We got okay. that. Okay. Hold <laughs> on. Chevy Volt. We said that. Uh, Ford Aerostar. True. Okay. Uh, Mercury Comet. Yeah. How did you forget the Comets? No, dude? that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Ford Galaxy IE, yeah. we loved it. Uh, Ford Focus, yes, I'm taking it. Ford Fusion, yes, I'm taking it. Uh, Mercury Meteor. Meteor, you had a Meteor, yes, we did in Canada. Yes. And, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. They yes, knew that. Okay. Oh yeah. That was early 1961. Yes. Okay. And I got a Ford Orion. Orion. All right. The Ford Taurus, of course, we knew yes. that. That was good internationally. Yes. It did very well. Ford Telstar. 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 Telstar, that was the America's first communication satellite. Telstar. Dodge Aries. Yes. Plymouth Laser, I'm taking it. The laser, yep. Nissan had a pulsar. They did. They yeah, had a pulsar. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is not going to fit in the podcast. You got to make this an extra. Okay? <laughs> this is an okay? extra feature. I got one yeah. here. You ready? This is Nissan had a Sunny. Yes. Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. Toyota had the Solara. Yes. I'm taking it. Yes. It's not Solar, a real word, yes. but it's yeah. Soul it's is kind the of, sun. Yeah. Toyota. Soluna. Soluna. Sol and Luna is the okay, Latin so word that's like, for sun and moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to be clever there. Volkswagen had the Apollo. Yes. Mitsubishi Eclipse. Yes. That one was pretty bad. That was, bit, yeah. Th that was badass looking. Yes. Uh, Isuzu had a Gemini. And uh, this is an Indian coming. The Mahindra. Mahindra, yeah. Had a Scorpio. Yes, they did. Scorpio. Actually, with Ford. Is that right? Yeah, okay. It was, it was right, both of right. us. Kia yeah. Spectra. Yes. Hyundai Solaris. Yes. There's a lot of words that smell like that. Uh, Hyundai Stellar. That's boring, actually. And Chevy Geo, of course. Yes, that yes, was, yes. That whole got a lot of mileage. It was a whole division, um, yeah. And 
Nissan Infinity. Here's one for you. You ready? You're not ready. Are you seated? Yes. Okay. There is a group of stars. It's actually a star cluster called the Pleiades. Okay. They're visible all over. And it's six stars, although in legend, there are seven because seven was a luckier number. So the, the Romans said there were seven. The seven daughters of Atlas were the Pleiades, but they're actually only six stars. And they're there. You can't miss them. They look a little bit like the Little Dipper. Got it. Do you know what the word for the Pleiades is in Japanese? Subaru. No way. Way. So. Oh, and, oh, and actually, the logo. The logo is blue with all the. I didn't know that. No it's the Pleiades. Is on that? their card. That's why. And, and they did it right. They have six stars, not seven. Okay. No way. Way. Okay, got it. That's the Pleiades. That is. So that's so my cool. full list of cars, dude. I love it. I mean, I had actually no idea it was that many until you went through that list. Yeah. And it's interesting that the naming was durable over decades. Like you would think, oh, maybe the 50s, they were interested yeah, in Yeah, no, it came no, in and stayed. It's it like, yeah, yeah. it went on forever. Yes. I mean, for until now. Yes, yes. yes. Curiosity. Yes. There it is. And people's interest in the universe knows no bounds. Amazing. Not even among the people who name cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much All right, for your dude, time, Really Neil. good to You're see you. You're the best. All right. Thank you. Drive is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise. Our production staff includes Julia Natt, Eva Walchover, and Kristen Muller, with help from Lori Arpin, Krista Gentile, Max Owen Dunell, Catherine Sanders, Darnell Macon, and Mark Truby. Our host is Jim Farley, and this is Drive.